Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, here as always with John Mitchell. I know we promised you ACC conference preview coverage this week, uh, but football is football, and... You know, honestly, we like to keep things as fresh as possible. We have the basics of when the ACC conference is going to be starting play, so we'll definitely make sure to get you all previewed up before then. But, you know, we have the ongoing pandemic. We don't even know what's actually going to be happening with the situation in college football by the time we get to previewing our last two Power 5 conferences in the ACC and the SEC. So we, you know, we want to take advantage of the situation as it exists because there's some crazy things going on in the world of college football. Some of that comes down to, you know, the situation on the ground with the pandemic. And I think this is a fun place for us, John, to turned to looking back a couple of episodes ago when I had that opportunity to interview Scott Judlica from Washington State University um, on his COVID and CFB website and how he's grading these teams because, you know, I think that can help inform what we look at in terms of how the MAC decided to pull the trigger. Before we get started, though, I just want to, you know, shout out and say, it's great to uh, be here with everybody. It's great to be here with you, John. How are things going in your part of the world at this juncture? You know, in a, in a perfect world, would be able to do our ACC preview this week. And really, a perfect world, we would have done it last week. But it's hard to do an ACC preview when we're not 100% sure if there's going to be an ACC or even a football season still. When we're, you know, a month away from all of that supposedly starting and it's obviously been a very eventful weekend in the college football world, so we definitely have a lot to discuss. But personally, you know, I guess everything's as okay as it can be for a fifth straight month of a seemingly endless quarantine process. Oh yeah, I totally have thoughts on that. I'll save them for the final segment because, you know, I think in this first segment, I really want to focus on the nuts and bolts of what's happening on the ground because that's really going in some part, to inform what's happening over the rest of college football. And in some parts, it's not. And I think at least understanding what's happening is important. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had that opportunity to interview Scott, uh, Scott Jedlica from Washington State University. And he does these daily report cards of you know, how COVID is impacting college football and the communities in which college football is played specifically. And, you know, on Friday, last Friday, August 7th, only one Mac school was in the A range of Jedlica's daily COVID report card. And, you know, the rest of the teams were experiencing either stasis or they were trending downward on these daily report cards over the previous week. And then Saturday, you know, the day after this last report card comes out, the MAC decides to cancel all fall sports. And I want to talk to you first a bit about 
you know, what did you think of this decision by the MAC to cancel fall sports, and especially what seems like was a big push from Northern Illinois, especially? Yeah, I mean, isn't it, is it Northern Illinois whose school president or something like that is an infectious disease expert, if I'm not mistaken? So, I mean, I'm going to defer to his judgment, obviously, as, as everyone in the country should be doing um, as it comes to the pandemic is deferring to the experts in their field. So obviously he thinks it wasn't really, you know, safe to move forward. And also, you know, when you look at it from a group of five perspective with the, and we've talked about this several times too, Zach, that losing these paycheck games they get from the power five makes it all the more difficult for the group of five to operate as normal and have a conference only schedule of their own because those games don't make them, the kind of money that a Power 5 versus Power 5 school has um, conference-wise. So, I mean, they were slated to, to lose probably quite a bit by trying to play. And, you know, obviously they're going to lose quite a bit by not playing as well. It would be interesting to see the negative impacts that are undoubtedly coming for these athletic departments. You know, football is football. That's usually for any school is going to be profitable enough to play. But the realities of it are too that football typically funds all the other sports in your athletic department all the bit sports and the the ones that you know there's sparse few fans everywhere save for parents of the student athletes so you know it'll be interesting to see what happens to those you know your heart goes out to those um students who play those sports and for you know the mat players as a whole who are losing this season because, you know, we talked about the potential for spring football for these leagues, but it's hard to, to understand, I guess, logistically how it would work to have a spring season and then turn around and play again in the fall of 2021. And, you know, aren't things even going to be marketedly better come springtime for COVID than they are right now? Because currently it doesn't really look like it. No, that's something that campuses all across the country are dealing with. I'm dealing with it over the next couple of weeks as Penn State starts to bring back all of its students and prepares for the start of classes on the last Monday of August. Or sorry, I guess it wouldn't, it'd be the second to last Monday of August because August has 31 days. But anyway, you all get the drift. We're we're coming back two weeks before Labor Day and... Things are ramping up really quickly. We're having to look at the spaces where we're actually having classes. You know, we're booking spaces that are way larger than a class would normally be in, uh, both for lectures and for discussion sections that happen in undergraduate survey courses and, and all of that good stuff. So... It's coming down to real space issues for campuses beyond the football field. And it's funny to think about because we're also simultaneously dealing with football situations where a lot of these conferences operate in states where they weren't going to be having anybody in the stands. Students, you know, the the highest paying donors, anybody. Or if they did, it was going to be in such a limited capacity that you're still losing money. And so that's, you know, that that really does inform some of what's happening here as well. It's not just a pandemic call. 
And I think that's, you know, that says a lot about college sports in the 21st century. And for that matter, way back in the 20th century. Feels weird saying way back in the 20th century, by the way, but I'm going to do it. Because at this point, we're a fifth of the way into the 21st century. Semantics aside, I, I, I love playing with those things. We could do that all day, but we're here to talk college football. And the conferences that seem to be canceling their seasons, because the MAC canceled their season, they're pretty much wedded to the Big Ten in terms of those paycheck games. And so many of their paycheck games are tied up with the Big Ten, whether it's, you know, cross-state you know, directional Michigan schools playing the Spartans and the Wolverines, or it's Ohio State playing a team like Cincinnati, or, you know, Northwestern playing in Northern Illinois, and, and all of these interstate things play into that as well, or intrastate things play into that as well, but the conference is wedded to it. And then, you know, on Monday, you know, Earlier in the day as we're recording this, by Wednesday this situation is going to be crazy. So you're listening on Wednesday morning. I'm sorry we're coming at you with late information, but this the sentiment remains the same here. The Mountain West canceled their fall sports on Monday, joining the MAC, and they did it in Pac-12 country. So many of those schools are tied up with the Pac-12 in terms of the revenue that comes from these paycheck games and once that away once and once that went away once the Pac-12 decided that they were playing a conference only schedule and followed in the league of, in in the wake of the Big 10 the Mountain West was you know kind of doomed just like the MAC was in that regard and Something I think is interesting out of this, John, and perhaps you can enlighten me more, but Brett McMurphy reported that the Sun Belt effectively plans to follow whatever the SEC does, when, you know, and whatever that Power 5 league decides to do. They're in a similar footprint, of course, as the SEC, but the SEC decided to go conference only already. You know, it almost feels like they'd want to go with the ACC more and try to do whatever that league decides to do because they're the one that can offer them non-conference game opportunities and, you know, either them or the Big 12. So what do you think about that move by them? Yeah, you know, I, I wonder if the Sun Belt is kind of trying to delay everything as long as possible because that's kind of been Greg Sankey's plan in the SEC is to not to make a decision before he absolutely had to make a decision. And, you know, I can understand that from some standpoints, but also the reason we're here is because no one's wanted to make a decision for five straight months. And that's why we're here as, you know, we're coming out of the other end of this tunnel where college football is supposed to start and we've made no progress on how to actually play the damn games. And, you know, we've been talking about this for five straight months. We warned back in March, having these same conversations, that the college football season could be in serious jeopardy. And that was the time for planning and, and making, you know, and maybe there is no plan, Zach, that makes it remotely safe to play college football. But it hasn't felt like any, 
anybody in the NCAA, again, this shows the complete lack of leadership capabilities of the NCAA as an entire unit. None of the Power Five or Group of Five ADs, none of the member institution presidents have felt like they've done enough to really make a plan. You know, they're trying to ostensibly take a knee and run out the clock on a virus that doesn't give a damn about clock. Like the, the coronavirus doesn't care what month it is. They don't care what's co- it doesn't care what's coming up. And that's been the strategy from here on, except, you know, you see a, a, a you see that in college football all the time, right? You get a two touchdown lead or something like that. And you try to hold the ball and take the air out of it and run the clock out. The difference here is we were down by two touchdowns and did, and still tried to run the clock out. So it, you know, I, again, that's me drifting off into a diatribe that had nothing to do with your question, but that's how it goes. Everybody's been listening to the podcast knows that we're good for rants from time to time. But I, I assume the, the Sun Belt's plans are kind of just wait and see. And I think they think the SEC is going to try to come hell or high water play in some capacity. And maybe they are able to latch on in some way with that. I, you know, I, I really don't know. But um, I know that I think they're even talking of some home-and-home home games this season for Sun Belt teams. Like, I, I want to say Troy and someone else had booked a, a, a home-and-home home series for this year within the Sun Belt. I can't remember exactly what other team it is. Maybe South Alabama. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. But regardless. But yeah, I, I you know I don't I couldn't really tell you what their reasoning is, but I mean it's hard for me to see any group of five league, particularly the Sun Belt, when you're talking about the hierarchy of group of five leagues. That's at the bottom, and has been for years and years. So how they're able to play and the Mountain West and the MAC wouldn't be able to play makes not a whole lot of sense to me. No, I, I think it's a total mess, and I think you're right that they're, they're probably like some of these other leagues, just kind of kicking the can down the road. But, you know, you look at other leagues in that same footprint. Conference USA is planning to play their season as well, but they're planning to do it a school down. Old Dominion has unilaterally decided to cancel all their fall sports. Um, but the other Conference USA members are, are, are basically saying you know, damn and blast, we're going to deal with that and we'll play in unbalanced, comp, you know, divisions, but, you know, we'll deal with that as it goes with the seven and six. You know, and the American Athletic Conference as well, they're pretty much in that same boat. They're, you know, you could kind of look at them as the Big 12 considering they they both stretch way further than any one geographic-based conference ever would. They're looking at, you know, sticking with their eight conference games, four home, four away, and up to four out-of-conference games at any of these schools that can manage to land that many of them. And where they go for them is the big question, and and perhaps some of these leagues that are in similar footprints, like the Sun Belt and Conference USA or the American Athletic Conference, can figure out things with one another to continue playing, but the group of five race becomes a lot less interesting for somebody like me that covers that regularly because it's the group of three now. If we even have, you know, a college football playoff, New Year's six games and all that jazz. And 
I, you know, I, I think once you start losing those kind of games, those opportunities for Cinderella runs and all the rest, you lose some of the flavor of what college football is all about. And at a certain point, what is that tipping point that that finally makes us say, hey, we've lost too much of college football. This is just becoming pros by any other name that, you know, ought to be fairly compensated and getting hazard pay for dealing with what they're dealing with. I think it'll be interesting to see if any, and I don't know if this is even possible, Zach, you might know more about this than me, if any of these individual schools decide to go out and try to schedule a couple games anyway, even though their conference seasons are canceled. Because, you know, I, Scott Frost mentioned it today, for instance, or on Monday, for instance, he mentioned at Nebraska that regardless of whether the Big Ten intends to play a season, they will explore other options if need be. So, you know, I, I look at it from a standpoint of Air Force, for instance. Do they, would they still play their commander-in-chief games? Would they still play Army? Would they still play Navy? How would that kind of work logistically? So I think it'll be interesting to see if some of these schools decide on their own to try to go out and schedule a few games to try to get something out of this college football season monetarily and, you know, for the record books or whatever, or what have you. So, you know, I, I think one thing is clear in all of this, and it's that college football in 2019 was the last year of college football um, as we've known it for a long time. Things are going to be, regardless of when things get back to any kind of sense of normalcy, things are going to be much, much different for this sport. I completely agree. And, you know, we've talked a lot about group of five teams here. I want to kick the can a bit down the road on, on discussing what this all means for the Power Five. We're going to talk about that in our final segment, actually, because, you know, in all of this discussion of 2019 being the last season we remember from the before time, if you will, I think we need to first talk about these ongoing player movements around both what we've talked about already on the podcast last week with We Are United originating in the Pac-12, and then this We Want to Play movement that we saw blow up over this past weekend. So with that, we'll be right back from our first break. Stay tuned with us because we've got a lot to continue covering here. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We were talking about the state of college football right now in our previous segment. If you're here for our ACC previews this week, I'm sorry again, but I'm really not sorry because we have so much news around college football right now that we can hold off on previewing closer to when these games actually happen and we have a better feel of What's happening on the ground? Because we've had a lot blow up around player movements as well. Last week, we talked about the We Are United movement that originated in the Pac-12. 
uh, they launched their letter through the Players' Tribune, and the Big Ten players joined them with their own letter at the Players' Tribune website. Mountain West players also released a statement, though, as we mentioned in our prior segment, their fall seasons have now been canceled due to the conference's decisions around operating in the age of coronavirus. But the thing I really want to talk to you about, John, and, you know, for as engaged as I am usually on Twitter, I know this blew up at first on Twitter, but... I didn't really get the chance to follow the origins of We Want to Play. And I know you were definitely more dialed in than I was around this. So what can you really tell us about, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, all of these guys speaking out? What is We Want to Play? Yeah, I mean, it it all, you know, started obviously this weekend and, Pat Forte um, dropped a, a bomb that had stated that, you know, not just the Big Ten and Pac-12 initially had been leaning towards canceling fall sports, but that we were at, you know, 11.59 of midnight of all of the Power Five conferences canceling fall sports, or at least punting to the spring, or however you want to state it. So, you know, obviously seeing that was... Uh, another bit of depressing news for what's been just an awfully depressing year. Uh, but very soon after that, we started seeing players really begin to speak up and, and give out votes of confidence to their own individual athletic departments and, and bring up a lot of really good points, Zach, that I think, you know, some of the things that we really not considered from their angle of things. But yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I believe was the first player to come out with the hashtag we want to play. From what I understand, he reached out to hundreds of different players around the country. Uh, Justin Fields joined in, Najee Harris joined in. So, I mean, some of college football's biggest stars joined into this movement pretty immediately and said that they want to play. And it's, it's very similar to the Pac-12's We Are United movement. There was no demands for, you know, 50% of income or anything like that. The demands were pretty strictly, you know, uniform testing policies, no signage of any BS waivers that would cause them to give up their rights to sue if they got COVID or anything like that. But, you know, these these players bringing up points such as they feel safer going and being within their individual athletic departments than they would feel going home or feeling like they're having to stay on campus anyway, because regardless of whether football is played, it's looking like many colleges are going to have on-campus learning, as you're obviously well aware of, Zach. So they're thinking from that standpoint, how are they any safer if they still have to go to class, if they still have to be around people? So these players have really come out and and really tried to rally at the, it what felt like midnight, to be honest. It just felt like inevitability. It's felt inevitable for a while that we might not have a college football season. But, you know, at the very last minute, and this is why we love college sports so much, is, is because of the players and what they're able to do on the field. And now we're getting to see what they have always been able to do off the field, but haven't, I guess, fully realized their ability to do so and how much power they actually have. Because... You know, now you're seeing coaches come out in support of their players' movements. 
uh, and you're seeing some conferences like the SEC, like the ACC, kind of pumping the brakes on the potential of canceling their seasons entirely. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, I, there's obviously still a lot of issues that have to be worked out, but that's one of the main points the players have made, too, is, hey, you guys have had five months to figure this shit out. You've had five months to to put a plan in place. That's not our job. That's y'all's job to figure out. Now you're trying to rob us uh, of a season. And I thought one of the really interesting points actually came from Joe Burrow. Um, I believe it was either, I think it, he actually tweeted about it on Monday. He said, my heart goes out for the players who could potentially be losing their seasons. Had this happened last year, I'd probably be looking for a job right now. Yeah, no, it, it, and it's one of those things where these players, I, I I definitely, I'll be honest, when I first woke up on, I think it was Sunday morning, and I read the trending on Twitter about we want to play, or maybe it was Monday morning, I can't even remember, but it dropped, and... I woke up at like seven in the morning and saw this hashtag was trending on Twitter. And at first I'm like, Oh God, who is railroading the, we are United movement. And that's, that was my first instinct was it was a different group of players essentially trying to undercut something by saying, we want to be there because, you know, I saw Micah Parsons, for instance, opted out of playing this season at Penn State. And here, you know, being here in State College, that was quite the statement. The fact that they couldn't have Nittanyville and camping outside Beaver Stadium this year was huge. We'll get into that more in the final segment. But, you know, Parsons opts out and people say, who's next? And one of those that was hypothesized was Pat Fryermuth, the great tight end. And he came out on Twitter great Bill Murray uh, gift that he used, basically, you know, close, I, I can't remember the exact quote that comes in it, but, you know, essentially saying, good guess, but it's not me. You know, these players do want to play, and I think, though, you know, first of all, the fact that you have Lawrence and you have Fields, you have Harris, you have guys who are going to be first-round draft picks, and who right now, you know, Burrow makes that great point that a lot of these guys could play their way into being one of those first-round draft picks and potentially knock one of these guys speaking out right now out of the picture. But despite that fact, you have these big voices speaking up now. And I think what was most impactful about this is you had forces joining around a united front. We are united you know, united with this we want to play movement because I think a lot of people misunderstand, you know, they just read the hashtag like I did when I first saw it and thought, oh, this is just kind of kicking dirt in the we are united people's faces. And, you know, you've seen some interesting characters tw tweet and retweet these statements out from players about we want to play without... I think, really understanding exactly what it means. So I want to actually walk through that amazing graphic that was tweeted out, that we are united and we are, we want to play, you know, sort of the union statement from them. 
not to say union is in, you know, trade union, which frankly, you know, we'll get to that soon enough. But just the fact that these groups put together a united front and, and released a very clear six-line statement that Lawrence and Fields and Harris and all of these other guys basically blasted Twitter with at 12.01 and, you know, showed that united front in a very real way. And seemingly put it together in, in like instantaneously. Yeah, you know, they were discussing this, and it sounded like it ended up being Washington State defensive lineman Dallas Hobbs that slapped together this, what turns out to be an amazing graphic, in 20 minutes. He had 20 minutes to make sure they blasted, everybody blasted at 12.01. And that must mean he had to get it to them at 12 o'clock on the dot so that they could all download it and make sure that they could throw it up on their tweets in time. So, incredible coordination, which shows collective action in a hell of a way. But, as I said, I want to read through this statement line by line with you. We did it last week with the We Are United statement. This one's even smaller, but I think it's it's one that communicates very clearly and, and possibly even more powerfully. First of all, we all want to play football this season. That's the first line. That's it. And, you know, I think that's true of pretty much... It's true of the We Are United guys, you know? They weren't putting their name on something. They're saying these are the conditions that we want met to play football. They're not saying we don't want to play. They're saying we want you to recognize the risks that we're undertaking to play football for everybody because we want to play. That's what the We Are United statement was about. And this statement is as well. Clear, succinct, to the point. So let's move on to that second point because this becomes huge. Establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA. That's some powerful language, Sean. Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely, I mean, they're, like I said, it's amazing to me that they came up with all of this as quickly as they did and, and made so many different good points to try to put this together and to really rally together at the last minute. It's kind of, Honestly, like, you know, we've talked about the dangers of playing the season, but it's beautiful to see uh, collective effort like this by the players who, you know, they they stand to lose as much as anyone, right? Because they've been the ones who busted their asses their entire lives to arrive at this moment. And to your point a few minutes ago, too, like, you know, some of the guys are trying to get in that first-round range, but you look at Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, they don't have anything to play for this college football season other than accolades and further glory of winning a national championship, they're both going to be first-round picks in 2021 no matter what, if this season's canceled or not. Exactly. And that's the power of having these kinds of voices signing on to something like this. You know, with those letters on the Players' Tribune, those were, you know, a lot of players were signing on, but it was the players of the Pac-12. It was the players of the Big Ten. It, there weren't names attached to this in the right. same sort of way that we're getting with this budding movement. 
And, you know, the thing I love about this prong here, this second line, is, you know, they're protect. They want it among all conferences throughout the NCAA. They want universal procedures so that guys from the MAC, guys from the Mountain West, could be playing under safe protocols because they recognize, as we you mentioned a bit earlier, that. A large part of this is that for some of these people, college is the safest place to be. And, you know, being under the protection of an athletic department who has their health and well-being as an interest in mind, and we can go into the economics of why they have that interest in mind, but that aside, they do have their health and well-being in mind because it is imperative for having a season. And... But the thing is, is having this universally mandated and having it among all conferences is so huge. And that's why the next line is huge as well. Give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision. And I think it really, you know, too often there's a stigma around somebody wanting to opt out of a season like this. You have all these names who are opt, you know, starting to opt out. We talked about Micah Parsons, you know, Josh Jackson has opted out at Maryland. You have bigger and bigger names starting to say thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm in a good enough position right now, draft-wise. Or I think I'm, frankly, just going to be more concerned about my health. Rondell Moore, too, at Purdue. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge name as well. Um, And... You know, these players are, are speaking up in that that way individually. But this statement's huge because it, it's a collective saying, we're going to respect those players' decision as well. And, and that's where the fourth line is tied in. Guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play the season or not. So, you know, we're going to, you can opt out and we respect that decision to the extent that your eligibility is protected even if you do opt out. And I think that's huge. Yeah, that, that stigma of sitting out has been one of the worst things about competitive sports as a whole. Because, I mean, you talk about it from this year, but it's something we've seen in college football the last several years where more and more prominent players have chosen to sit out, sit out bowl games that you know weren't particularly meaningful to them. You have a player like Christian McCaffrey, for instance, his junior year at Stanford sitting out the bowl game, and so on and so forth. There's been tons of examples of that over the last few years, and you have a section of college football fans who view that as quitting. Well, that's not what it is in the slightest, and that's the same way people are uh, surely viewing some of these, like Micah Parsons, like Rondell Moore, and what have you, who've decided to you know focus on the 2021 draft and kind of privately train. And that's not a stigma that is in any way fair, um, I, I think clearly if college football is played, those last two lines you just read are really non-negotiable in the point that players can opt out if they want to, and if they opt out, if they choose to retain that year of eligibility, they can. Yeah, I, I, that's non-negotiable. So much of what we talked about last week in the We Are United letter felt like it was being set up as negotiation points. What is put out in this statement, I think, is really the cut-and-dried, non-negotiable points. And and that's what makes the fifth line that interesting. They say, quote, 
use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials. Ultimately create a college football <laughs> players association. End quote. This is going to trip up a ton of people, John. What did you think when you first read it? I think that's the NCAA and each conference's biggest fear is a college football players association. And regardless of how you feel about everything, to me, where I think the players are really correct when it comes to this kind of stuff is that it, it didn't feel like these, at least for the bigger conferences, it doesn't feel to me like if they want to cancel their seasons, they're doing it because they're really super concerned about the pandemic. I think they're more scared of stuff like the Pac-12 We Are United letter. I think they're scared of unionization. I think they're scared of a college football players association. They're scared of the shroud of amateurism being ripped away from the sport forever. And I think a lot of these conferences and the NCAA as a whole are willing to lose one year's worth of revenue if it allows them to maintain the fallacy of amateurism for years and years on end. And that's not going to happen because amateurism is almost dead. I mean, we are at the very last days of amateurism even existing in college football, college basketball, and what have you going forward. And I think that is a huge fear. And I think that led, you know, they're not, obviously the Big Ten Pac-12 whoever's not going to come out and say that, but to me that's leading a lot of this is that they do not want to allow that to happen. And I think, you know, Nick Saban had a really good quote on this that came out on Monday. And he said, the argument really shouldn't, should probably be, we shouldn't be having school. That's the argument. Why is it we shouldn't be playing football. Why has that become the argument? And that, to me, hits the nail right on the head because we've talked about this and how irresponsible it is to have kids, that many students on campus right now with the pandemic still raging out of control in the United States. Now, that, to me, is the only safe way you can play this sport, right, is to remove people from campus and, campus and come up with a pseudo-bubble-like atmosphere for college football players being the only students on campus. And then maybe you can figure out how to play some games. But if you do that, Zach, amateurism's dead at that point because they're no longer student-athletes. You're, you're then treating them like they are as different than regular students. They've been treated differently for a long time. The only difference is, is part of that different treatment is that they, they can't earn the same amount of money even that the guy covering them for the campus newspaper can for each article he's writing about that team playing on the field. He gets that in cold, hard cash. And yes, because I did it as well, you can also go earn another scholarship and, you know, be earning at the same time for your your upkeep in life. Yeah, you could go get a job at a grocery <laughs> store or something like that to have a few extra bucks. Exactly. I worked in a, a restaurant kitchen for my first year plus of going back and, you know, on top of writing for the campus newspaper because I could have multiple jobs if I wanted. I had those opportunities. And I think what's great about this, that, you know, you met, you, you, you hit it right there. I, I think we asked in the last segment, what does this all mean for Power 5 teams? 
I think this united front from players could have a far greater impact on the course of the 2020 football season than anything COVID-19 could, or any of these group of five conferences could, or anything else that we see come out. It's this united front from players, because that last line on that statement is representative of the players of all Power Five conferences. It's a five-conference united front for the five conferences that make the most money. And what was so great is they called for a college football players association. They're showing collective action, but they weren't explicitly calling for unionization. It was incredible semantic choice there on their part because a players association has different ramifications legally than a union like we saw Northwestern try to go through the National Labor Relations Board and allow to happen six, six, seven years ago at this point. So, yeah, it's it's honestly incredible how well crafted all of this was. Because I mean, I mean, the kids are all right, man. They're they are really just doing everything they can to save the season, but also doing everything they can to ensure the players. That come, who come after them have it better than they had it, and that to me, to me, that's what struck me the most. Zach has just been the selflessness of all these college football players who aren't just looking out for me and my and everything like that, and even me, my and my own teammates and my program that I play for. It's we're trying to look out for each other. We're trying to make this sport better for everyone who plays it. We're trying to make college athletics as a whole better for every student athlete who plays a sport, you know? And and that, to me, has been the thing I think that struck me the most. Or we are united through we want to play has just been the complete lack of selfishness from all these college athletes. Well, and I think that's the thing, is as you learn more, as you read more about these things, you get less away from the hashtag itself and more into the meat of realizing that the real adults in the room are the people that put on the pads on Saturdays. 100%. On that note, let's take our last break before we come back and really talk about what the ramifications are for all of this for Power 5 conferences. So, still got a lot to talk about, everybody. Stay tuned. Welcome back for the final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We've shut down the ACC preview for this week. We'll be back hopefully next week with it. But at this point, I'm not going to promise anything for anybody. We will get to the ACC before the ACC starts play. And we will get to the SEC before the SEC starts play. We're still safe right now, given the state on the ground. You know, we've seen Power 5 leagues start to release their full schedules for these expanded slates of conference games. But we don't know that these conference games are ever even going to actually be played. As we talked about in the last segment with the We Are United and We Want to Play movements that are, you know, these trending hashtags that start on social media and become 
movements of their own right, they have real power. And, you know, we've talked in the past what could trigger Power 5 conferences to cancel their college football seasons. The Ivy League led to the cancellation of March Madness. It had absolutely no impact on college football when the Ivy League did the exact same thing for, for their gridiron team. Their gridiron teams. The MAC and the Mountain West have canceled their respective seasons. UConn has canceled their season. Old Dominion out of Conference USA decided to cancel their season. All of these moves have had next to no impact on Power 5 leagues. Most of them have been planning conference-only seasons anyway. And the two leagues that are planning to play conference games, you know, the Big 12 and the ACC, I wouldn't be surprised if increasingly those two leagues decided to link up and play those games against one another. Because you have 10 Big 12 teams, you have 14 ACC teams, you could easily have 8 of those games, you know, you could easily give every Big 12 team a game if they play these 14 teams and, you know, 10 of those 14. They could easily even have 2 games if you have a couple of you know, group of five teams in there and Norder Dame decides to play another game because I wouldn't be surprised if they could slot that in if they wanted to. And, you know, all of that jazz, I could easily see, you know, those sorts of tinkerings happen. But this players movement we've talked about could be that final push that knocks over all of these dominoes across the FBS. And Dan Patrick, obviously the former anchor of the big show with Keith Olbermann, rather than the lieutenant governor of Texas. Let's get the right Dan Patrick here, at least. But, you know, the, the, the great Dan Patrick announced on his show on Monday that the Big Ten had voted 12-2 to to cancel the 2020 football season and all of their fall sports attendantly. Iowa and Nebraska were apparently the teams that voted against. You alluded to the situation with Nebraska in an earlier segment here. But, you know, I think what's interesting about that is I have to ask you, John, I'm just going to throw it out there. Could a Power 5 conference have already canceled its season before this episode goes to air on Wednesday morning? You know, that's that's a good question because it, it felt like 24 hours ago the answer would have been like a resounding yes. Right, like an easy yes. And now you've got these players that have pushed back to to try to get a, a season played. So I'd actually be surprised at this point, even with what Dan Patrick came out with on Monday, if the Big Ten or Pac-12 or any other Power 5 league decided to pull the trigger this early. Because, I mean, there is still time, Zach. There's not a lot of time, but there is still a little bit of time. That's the whole reason that seasons were pushed back. And I think that's one of the big questions that these players have had too was what what the hell was the point of pushing the season two weeks uh, or so like for several of the leagues to not start until mid to late September instead of late August? What was the point of doing that if just a week or two later you were going to cancel the season altogether? And that's a fair question because really there was no point in doing that if you were going to turn around and do this as quickly. And things are going to be markedly better Two weeks from now, three weeks from now, three months from now, things aren't going to be just like way better than they are right now. We're in for the 
for the long fight because we've had a lack of leadership in the country, a lack of leadership in the sport for five straight months as it pertains to a pandemic. And that's why we're in the situation we are in now. And it was totally avoidable if you look at other countries being able to get back to a relative sense of normalcy while we sit here piddling around arguing over the the our rights being taken away because we have to wear a piece of cloth over our face. I almost slipped up and made this a, a uh, TVMA rating on this podcast this week. But, um, you know, it, it, um, it's just frustrating. And I, one of the things that's really annoyed me around this We Want to Play movement has been the, the few so-called journalists out there that play Travis's of the world, the, in my neck of the woods, the Ryan Fowler's of the world, who are coming out and saying, they're, I mean, they're totally missing the point of what the players are even saying, because they're acting like the players want to play, but the media, particularly the media who gets paid to cover the sport and would be monetarily affected in a major way if college football isn't played in 2020, have somehow a divergent agenda and want the season not to be played so they can be proven correct. That's the most outlandish form of bullshit I have ever heard. Like, that makes negative sense when it comes to that. Why would someone who gets paid to write about college football root for the season to be gone, to not happen? When in reality, the reason we're at crisis mode of potentially losing the season has been because of people like that who have constantly downplayed the virus and acted like the pandemic wasn't real from the beginning, have retweeted plandemic or plandemic videos and all this false data trying to support their ridiculous assertions as to what's actually going on in the country. There's no vast conspiracy theory, but that conspiracy theory that exists is the reason we are where we are right now, because people want to pretend that it doesn't exist. Here's a fact for everyone listening. Most conspiracy theories are total bullshit, and it's they're made up of people who want the world to be more interesting than it actually is. Unfortunately, life is boring, and that's it. That's that's really what it comes down to, is you have... I mean, I mentioned this on Twitter, I think, last week, but I'm somebody who writes for a website exclusively devoted to college football. You, John, are somebody who writes on a website devoted exclusively to college football. I, my best work for for us, we make the most money in season when college football is happening. There are way more clicks during a college football season than there are outside of a college football season. For me, who's who also works as a graduate student, at a university that plays FBS football, that is a Power 5 school. You know, I work with college football students, you know, college football players who are students on campus, and I work with other athletes who are students on campus. I did that, I, I do that here at Penn State. I did that before at the University of Oregon. It's one of those things I take pleasure from, is somebody who loves sports. I mean, you 
but you know, you even subtract the fact that as somebody who works as a graduate student, I, I, I have to have students to work with. I have to have undergraduates to work with to keep my stipend. As somebody who writes about college football, I lose, I mean, I, I'm not the wealthiest person in the world, but I subsidize my decent but not by no means of lavish graduate student stipend with writing largely during the college football season. Losing those games does not help me in the least. But I'm I'm here on a campus that in two weeks will be coming back and is bringing students back into a situation where we're booked into rooms that are ostensibly going to provide the space to distance socially enough to mitigate the spread of the virus. And in those rooms, in those specific rooms where seats will be marked and you know where you're allowed to sit and whatnot, and we can enforce that by seeing are you sitting in a seat that's marked off, that's all good and well. And that'll be happening in our discussion sections as well. But, you know, you can only enforce that to a certain extent. You can only enforce that while you're in those classrooms. I can't guarantee it on the quads when you're walking across campus. You certainly can't guarantee it once you cross the street onto, you know, the, into the bars on College Avenue and Beaver Avenue here. You can't guarantee those things. I know there's a bar... Just down the street on North Atherton, I won't name names, but it is a, a, a popular bar, and I see increasing numbers of cars out there as we're getting closer to the college, you know, year starting. It's a really nerve-wracking thing, but that's the thing is, you know, you can cancel these seasons, you can push them back, but we still are in a world of uncertainty, and... I think that, more than anything, is something I want to applaud the fact that the people working under the We Are United hashtag and working under the We Want to Play hashtag, they really hammered out a joint statement that speaks to everybody's collective needs. Because, And yes, they didn't hit on everything that I would have loved them to in a very quick and dirty graphic that as we said, happened in 20 minutes, but, you know, hats off, because, you know, Dallas Hobbs put together a graphic that communicated everything that they needed to in one fell swoop. You put that into a single tweet, you put that on Instagram, you blast that across social media, you have some real weight behind what you're doing. And I don't think, you know, I don't think Justin Fields, I don't think Najee Harris, I don't think Trevor Lawrence have as much weight without what Dallas Hobbs did as well. And I think that's important to make sure that we're continuing to highlight is sort of these unsung heroes, these guys in the trenches. At a school like Washington State, where we already heard stories about, you know, and who, you know, we've heard stories and we've heard you know, sort of follow-up stories around this and what actually happened and what he said, you know, he said in this situation. But regardless, Washington State was the flashpoint when We Are United first came out, and you see another, you know, ardent supporter of this movement 
making that move from a school knowing full well what's been happening and what could very well happen to him. And you said it in our last podcast. I'm so proud of every one of these guys. I just need to make that explicitly said. And I, I with that, I don't know what else I have to say about this movement. It's amazing. You know, I, I feel like I've gotten to the point where college football players and athletes and whatnot shouldn't be able to surprise me because of all I've seen, but I've never seen anything like this, and I don't know that anyone really has. And it's it's been so great to watch them for weeks and weeks now realize the power they have in all of this and how much they can do just by speaking up. I mean, they single-handedly probably saved the college football season you know, this Sunday night or whatever it was by going out and and just tweeting all of that out. They caused people to kind of sit back and wonder, okay, well, maybe we aren't thinking about this in a rational sense. Maybe we're going about this the wrong way. And, you know, know, one thing I don't want to gloss over, you mentioned that bar. And, I mean, you're not going to keep college students on campus out of bars. That's just not going to happen. They're going to go. And, you know, I can sit here... Uh, several years removed from that atmosphere myself, and you can do the same thing and we can judge, but who the hell knows what we would have done at that age in these situations either. So I don't want to lay judgment down on kids who are making those kind of decisions, because who knows if I had been 20, 21 years old during a time of a pandemic, if I would have taken it as seriously as I needed to take it. Chances are I probably wouldn't have, because I was pretty stupid when I was 21 years old. So I, um, and one thing I don't want to gloss over either, Zach, is the impact on the economy of college towns, not having a college football season, or not even just having fans come to these games is going to have, because these towns and these communities that, you know, you have a lot of small communities that rely almost exclusively on this kind of business. They rely on college kids being on campus, they rely on the off-campus housing money, and they rely on the money those kids go spend downtown at bars, at restaurants, and what have you, but they also rely on 100,000 people flocking to these communities on any given Saturday during the fall and staying at hotels, visiting restaurants, going to bars, buying, you know, ridiculous memorabilia at any pop-up stand you can find, you know, within a mile and a half of a stadium on your walk to the stadium from wherever you park going to a game and just so many tiny so many communities like that that are going to lose so much money you have your bigger cities like LA and places like that they're going to be fine but you look at your Tuscaloosas you look at your state colleges you look at your Auburns and places like that that it's going to have a major possibly even you know big enough impact to where they're not going to be able to recover a lot of small businesses. And, you know, obviously it's not just the case from a standpoint of college football town because small businesses have been, you know, irrevocably affected and impacted by this pandemic, perhaps forever for good for a lot of these places. You've already, you've heard plenty of times during this of restaurants and businesses shutting down forever, closing their doors forever because they can't, financially recover from from the impact but you know we're a college football podcast so looking at it from a college football town perspective you know i 
uh, Tuscaloosa mayor, for instance, and I always I bring up Tuscaloosa because I lived in Tuscaloosa for five years. I attended the University of Alabama, and you know Walt Maddox, the Tuscaloosa mayor, has come out and many times tweeted out how much money the city stands to lose if there's not a season, if there aren't fans who can come down to the city during a season. It's just, it's all just very sad. I don't know that there's anything at this point that can be done about that, because whether or not we have a season, I think the one thing everyone agrees on at this point is there's not going to be any asses in seats, which means there's not going to be any people coming to these cities and spending money. Well, and that's the thing, is you have all of those ancillary impacts. They're all born on the shoulders of college students who are paid only with the scholarship with academic support that is designed not necessarily to support them in the major that's exactly of their choice but is designed to support them in staying academically eligible to compete in their sport and continue making money for the athletic department that that's the crux of what this is all built on but you say that, and, you know, you can talk about the athletic department and the revenue they're going to lose. But I think, you know, I want to highlight, you know, we write for Saturday Blitz, but we want to highlight any writer that's doing good work. And at The Athletic recently, Max Olson and Mitch Sherman put out a great piece at the end of July that was looking at the impacts within the, the community in Lincoln. You mentioned Nebraska. We talked about them as one of the two teams that voted against the Big Ten canceling their season. And you, you also mentioned Scott Frost alluding to possibly coming up with other arrangements to make sure football still happened. And for a community like Lincoln, not having football means that they lose an average of $5.4 million within the local community every weekend that football is not played. Those seven weekends a year generate more than, uh, more, it's more than like $36, 37000000 million a year for seven home games. It, it has real impacts. I think about here in State College where I'm at now, and, you know, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, where 107 or 109, whatever the capacity is at Beaver Stadium, you have three, you know, you have twice as many, again, people tailgating over the weekend. If you have 100,000 people in the stadium, you have 300,000 people tailgating in town that weekend. Camping in Nittanyville, which isn't going to happen this year, you know, right, you know, riding into town from all across the state in their RVs. I've definitely seen as many tricked out RVs here as I, I did in Oregon with Oregon State and Oregon fans wanting to cruise up and down the I-5 to Pac-12 games. It's it's awesome. It's one of those, it's, that is one of those universals in college football that, you know, the RVs might look different, they might be painted different, but you've got some big money donors at every school that can spend ridiculous amounts of money for that tricked out ride to each home game. Whether or not they're getting the tickets to go inside or not. And that's completely gone. They're not going to those, you know, those bars, those restaurants on College and Beaver Avenue. They're not, you know... You don't have people who can't ride those outrageous RVs who are staying in the hotels. 
you don't have a lot of things that just kind of fall by the wayside. And, you know, we talked about the impact of writers. It's an impact that hits so many different people. Obviously, a pandemic hits so many people across the board. We've seen unemployment numbers across the board. We've seen, you know, the number of people that are dealing with rent issues right now. I mean, hell, the number, we have 165,000 dead as of talking about this podcast in excess of what we would have ever expected this year. And you know what 160,000 dead amount to? It's, we're losing a large part of our society, you know, young and old, and even those, you know, millions that have contracted the virus might have uncertain futures depending on what actually happens with this to people's hearts, to people's lungs. We're in a rough space. These players speaking up addresses a... You know, they recognize that you can't have 100% certainty. You, You never will be able to. They also recognize that their varied situations mean that some of them have much safer times on campus than off campus in terms of their ability to distance socially, in terms of their ability to stay alive. And that's something that needs to be recognized. And I think more than anything, what we need to applaud is not just players speaking out like this, but players collectively joining together to speak out like this. Because we haven't seen anything on this level, specifically at the college level before. We've seen it at the Olympics, we've seen it in other guises, but we've never seen it specifically among college students. And that's what's amazing about the movement right now. Yeah, and I mean, if you know, you try to look for a silver lining, at least... If you're any kind of optimist, I guess, in life, you try to search out for a silver lining in anything, because if not, life can be a depressing bore that's kind of hard to get through. And if anything good has come out of, you know, the pandemic as it relates to college football and sports in general, it's been that these athletes have realized the power they have. They've rallied together as one collective unit and like you said earlier, they've been the adults in the room this entire time. They're the ones who, you know, should be expected to not have any answers because they're young and, you know, don't know a ton of, you know, you would expect them to have a ton of knowledge about what's going on. But they have shown everyone repeatedly during this that they have a better grasp on all of this than the people in charge who should actually be the ones who have the grasp on how to handle this and what to do. And it's been a damn good thing to see. And, you know, it's it's been an awful year, obviously, for many, many reasons across the board. But I've I've been very pleased to see what these athletes have been able to do and how they continue to defy the stigma of, you know, just being a football player or just being a basketball player. The the people who've always said shut up and just play your sport are constantly being put in their place by these athletes who continuously show how well-versed and how smart they are. And, you know, it's been great. 
It's exactly right. As you said, these are the adults in the room. The NCAA has abdicated responsibility. They're spending more time lobbying Congress to maintain their stranglehold over how we define amateurism and who gets to have name, image, and likeness rights than they have creating a coherent and universal pandemic plan and communicating it to membership in such a way that there should just be universal buy-in. Because if you're doing this right and you actually give a damn about the athletes that you say are first and foremost the most important part of your operations, you don't mess around with lobbying Congress about amateurism in the midst of a pandemic. These athletes are our last hope. And, you know, I just hope everybody out there continues to support those athletes because while they're only around for a finite amount of time, it's these successive generations that see how we treat them, that decide whether or not they want to commit to a sport that's going to chew them out and spit them out. And I think that's really where we need to sit with this. And that's what we need to think about as well as we preview these last couple of conferences that will eventually happen for you all. Because this sport is bigger than any one season. It's bigger than any one game. It's bigger than any one athlete that's competing. It it, it depends on successive generations of bodies committing themselves to old alma mater. And without that, what what are we doing around here? That That's what differentiates college football from professional football. That's, that's it at this point. It's the fact that they're playing for old alma mater rather than a paycheck. Right. No, I, I, absolutely. And I, you know, I... <sighs> I, I hope that they can figure this out, and I hope that what the, if nothing else, this we want to play movement has done in the last couple of days now is it energizes the people who can make these decisions ultimately to get off their asses and let's figure out a way to do this. You know, I I I'm with the the players at this point if we can find a workable solution to play this season by all means let's do it it's not going to be easy but nothing worth doing is easy so you know let's let's figure it out or at least let's give it our damn best shot and if we fail at the end at least we went down swinging you know and i think that's the thing is we need to hear from every player and the fact that the we want to play crowd latched on with We Are United and respect the decision of every athlete to speak out their truth in that moment. You know, whether you're opting out, whether you do want to play this season, everyone's right should be recognized in there. And we need this to continue. The one thing I'm most nervous about, John, and I just need, this may be where we leave off, but what I'm most nervous about is that we see Power 5 seasons canceled, specifically to squash this movement. And what I hope more than anything, and what I implore 
students to do more than anything because this is bigger, as we said, than any one athlete, any one game, any one season. Is that when we come back, and you know, if things are canceled this fall, when we do come back, they say none of this is off the table yet. This is you haven't negotiated with us yet. This is still the reality. And, you know, tailors those demands around the fact that this isn't something that needs to exclusively be tied to a pandemic for you to recognize our humanity. Yeah, I mean, most of these demands are, other than the ones that are COVID-centric, are things that should have always been in place anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Whether, Whether or not this season gets canceled and the reasons it gets canceled are or certainly debatable, but I, I totally agree. I hope the, the players who end up coming back, who don't end up going off to the NFL next year, who end up coming back, you know, when it's time to report, they're like, hey, you remember all that stuff we mentioned last year? Yeah, I mean, we were serious about that. You know, we, we still have this entire list that you guys haven't talked to us about, so let's let's get to that, and then we'll start weight training, then we'll start practicing and getting ready for a 2021 season because, you know, all of that wasn't just for show. We genuinely wanted this and wanted these demands met in order to play a season, whether that was 2020, 2021, or whatever the hell it was. This, These were our demands to play football again. And you hope that if it does happen that this season is canceled, you have Trevor Lawrence, you have Justin Fields, you have all of these guys speaking out, just like Joe Burrow did in support, speaking out and saying, this still needs to happen. If you're going to respect these guys in the best of times, you need to do it in every time. And I think, you know, that's really when we know that solidarity is there and that this is going to be in our space for the long haul. And I, I, hope, I hope we get to that point really, really soon. I mean, we're closer now than we've ever been, that's for sure. I sure hope so, John. Any last words before we sign off for this week? No, I mean, just I, everyone, you know, support these athletes, support these players who are, are doing more than anyone's done to try to salvage a college football season. Understand what that means you know, um, existentially for the sport as a whole, that they've been the ones who have had to try to come to the rescue and and save a season where a bunch of adults in the room have been, you know, sitting there on their butts doing nothing for months and months at a time, yet twiddling their thumbs and just hanging out. So, you know, that should tell you all you need to know about the state of college football that has taken players that are between 19 and 22 years old coming together to try to salvage some sort of a season when there's been months and months where we could have had preparation. We had five months, people. I wrote about this in March, what the 1918 season looked like during the Spanish flu pandemic. There was even precedent, right? (laughs) There was precedent for this. This is like a hundred-year event, and we had that situation 102 years ago. We did not learn from the past. And we're going to reap what we reap out of that. And that's just the sad reality. And at the same time, I think uh, the final thing I want to leave you all with is that 
the sad reality is that it wasn't a pandemic itself that might or might not shut down the season by the time we're actually putting this out to you on Wednesday morning. But it was players standing up to stay protected in the face of a pandemic that will lead to that being canceled. Interesting food for thought, everybody. On that note, again, so sorry we didn't preview the ACC this week, but, you know, after listening, I hope you understand why we did not. So, stay safe, continue distancing, continue wearing masks when you do go out in public, continue being smart about this. As my wife and I like to say, we operate as though we have this already, and we sure as hell don't want to give it to you. And so I, I, I sure hope you extend the same courtesy to all of us because we're all lovers of this game who want it to happen. You know, we are united as students, as players, as people who love this sport. And we want to play because for those of us who write about this sport, we, we you don't read as much if we're not writing about things that are happening on the field. You're not listening as much if we don't talk to you about things that are happening on the field. So we have a vested interest in this. You know, we're not here to knock things down and say to hell with this all. We we want a season just like all of these guys, but we want a season right. And if that can't happen, damn and blast, I'm united with with them more than I am with the money behind this all. Yeah, and just one little add-on, Zach, we're all human beings at the end of the day, so we're all operating on the same team. We should all view ourselves like these college football players view themselves right now. They're, you know, they're not all the same. They all have different beliefs and viewpoints and everything, and they're uniting together to try to figure this stuff out. And a, a pandemic doesn't choose political sides. A pandemic is a pandemic. It is, um, it's bipartisan when it comes to who it infects. It doesn't matter what your political leanings are. There are things in place to try to protect each other from that. And we're all human beings. We all deserve that courtesy that Zach was talking about. And I think it's a beautiful way you and your wife put it that you guys act like you have it and don't want to pass it on. And I think if everyone would get that through their minds right now, we'd be on the other side of this a lot sooner rather than later. If we had got our minds around this in March, we'd already be taught. We would be we would be through our previews and finishing not the ACC, but the SEC preview, and we'd be going into, you know, awards. But we're not, and that's the reality of this situation. So... Not to belabor the point any further, I just hope you all out there stay safe. Thank you again for tuning in. John, it's always a pleasure to get to talk to you about these things. And we'll be back again next Wednesday. Will we be talking about the ACC? Frankly, the way things are going, everybody, I'm not going to promise anything to you. But I will promise that we will be back here again with you next Wednesday to talk about the most relevant stories that are happening in college football right now.